I just feel there's just one major thing I want to get across in this session, and uh, we've had a, a heavy, strong day, so I'm going to keep it reasonably brief. I'd like you to turn with me to page 20. And uh, I first felt this, <coughs> we should go straight here, and um, it does continue on well from what we heard in the last session. I just want you to come to page 20, and at the bottom of page 20, it has an eighth dimension of the cross, which is the power of the cross to heal and to deliver us from all pains and all sicknesses. And we just want to make it clear that sickness isn't a normal human condition, it's, it's part of the curse, amen? When God created man and uh, they put them to live in the Garden of Eden with all the other animals, sickness and disease and all these things were totally unknown. And they weren't part of God's creation. And they are a corruption of God's creation by the evil one. Amen? You've got to get that. There's no such thing as a natural sickness. Get that quite clear. Everything in the realm of sickness is demonically caused. I'm not saying every person with sickness is demonized. I'm saying the root and cause of it all is demonic. Amen? You've got to get totally clear about that and be quite sure, as Jesus was, that when he was dealing with sicknesses, he was dealing with the devil. And uh, therefore we've got to, and it's primarily a spiritual problem, and I'm not saying that natural medicine can't do things to help, but it's a sort of, it's a way that man has devised to fight these, this demonic assault upon the human race, but, and to some extent it's successful, and, and some of the times it's disastrous, amen? So we've got to get, if we want to really see the kingdom come, we've got to get back to the root. And there is a great clear teaching of scripture that one of the great results of the cross is that there is now, a, the power of the cross is able to deliver us from all pains and all sicknesses. Let's just turn over the page to page 21. And once man stepped into independence and became a sinner, then Satan was immediately able to rule over this independent man and curse him. And he cursed him with a threefold curse. And this curse passed upon all men and tragically upon all creation. This was the curse of sin and the curse of sickness and the curse of poverty. They're all part of the curse. And we've got to get to the place where we no longer accept living in sickness any more than we would accept people continuing to live in sin. Amen? And secondly, we can't accept the fact that people continue to live in poverty. Now, uh, Mohan just touched on something in his last message, which I just want to develop that slightly, because I want to tell you what led up to that event. He mentioned that in the, in the main headquarters buildings the, the, and compound of the Sion Fellowship in India, that an angel just appeared, 60 feet tall, and it declared itself verbally to be the... Uh, the he said, I am the angel of prosperity, and he said, I've come to destroy the spirit of poverty. That's what he said. Now, 
I was preparing to come and take the annual leaders conference and I was due to arrive in I think two or three days time and as I was preparing for that ministry I God, God took me to to the book of Acts and to Acts chapter 3 when if you remember uh, Peter finds this lame man at the gate called beautiful you remember that story and And it says that Peter, fixing his eyes on him with John, said, look at us. And so this man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And here were these two apostles about to go into the temple and, and, and he, this man was asking for alms because this man asked alms or, or giving from everyone. He was lame from his mother's womb. That's what it says in verse 2. And when, when Peter saw him, he fixed his eyes on him and he gave him his attention expecting to receive something. And what God said to me was, he said that the church in India, because of its, the terrible economic condition of India, when apostles have come from America or Britain or some other country, they, they said they, the, the church in India is behaving just like that lame man. He's been, he's been lame from birth and never ever stood on his own feet financially. They've always looked for financial handouts and I'm not saying that's wrong for the prosperous nations to bless the poor nations. I'm not saying any of those things, but it's brought a kind of mindset, which was that I'm permanently lame. I'll never be able to financially manage, and therefore we've got to look to the West to financially support us. So whenever anybody comes, they're looking for a financial handout because the work is poor and the needs are desperate. And God said to me, he said, now that's a picture of the church in India, and the day has come to change that. He said, I'm going to... I'm going to teach you how to teach the church to stand on its own feet financially and to become not, to, to, and as a result of that, to become economically transformed so that they can now come into, the, into their deliverance from the curse of poverty and that they, I'm going to change the economy of India. Now that was how many years ago? About five, six, seven or eight years ago. So I went, came with this message to preach on, on um, the, the lame man being a picture of the church and that, that and, and Peter said I, I, he said I don't have gold and silver what I do have I'm going to give it to you what he had to give him was faith and he gave him faith to stand on his own feet and God said now the purpose of your visit to this uh, sign fellowship leadership team is to do exactly the same thing don't just try and raise a few thousand dollars or even ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars he said I, I want you to give them something better I want you to give them the faith to stand upon their own feet and, and that they are to learn that, that even as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that, that, that even the poor, we're told, have something which, which they can begin to sow in, in, in giving. And, and you don't wait till you get rich if you, want to, if you want to see God's prosperity. You start from the place of poverty, doing what you can with what you have. I'm not going to preach the whole thing to you, but I went there. And, and the other thing that I remember someone telling me was that as this angel stood there and they saw it there, and it reached its hands out towards the building that we're going to have the meetings, it was like lightning was going from the ends of its fingers and striking the building. So when I arrived uh, and was told about this, of course it was quite a, a, a preparation for the ministry that I had. And I was pretty excited. And I remember praying 
And, and, and God, and I said, I said, that said 60 feet tall. And God said, yes. He said, when an angel comes in human size, it comes as a messenger angel. But when an angel comes in massive size, it's come as a warring angel. And something I never knew before, but I've learned several times since that that's absolutely true. Well, God said it to me, so of course it's true. <laughs> and this angel said, I've come to wage war on the spirit of poverty. And, and I, I preached the message, there was, a, there was a special anointing about it and there was a tremendous response. And I have to tell you that from that day, first of all, the, the economy of Sion Fellowship began to change and, and Mohan would vouch for that. And people, as he said, people were going to get jobs and better, better employment and suddenly instead of one car, uh, you know, even that was donated from overseas, now the car park was full of cars that people were now being able to buy because their economy was changing completely. Now, if you go now to, to, to Hyderabad about eight years later, which is the capital city where all this took place, then the, the whole economy of Hyderabad has completely changed now. And if you read in, like, I've still got an article from the Wall Street Journal, 2004, which advises people, if they were looking for a great investment for the next decade, to invest in the city of Hyderabad because of the economic miracle that's taking place there. I've still got the article. It's in the Wall Street Journal on December the 24th, and he said, now you invest there because Hyderabad is going to soon be competing with Bangalore as the, as the Silicon City of India, and all kinds of new economies are springing forth there. Well, that's been absolutely fulfilled. And if you, go to, if you get out of the airport today in Hyderabad, it's got a magnificent airport facility, and you drive through the, through the city, it's not dirt and degradation like it used to be, it's nice flower beds and, and it's neat and it's tidy, and you think, you, know, you think, this is the Hyderabad that I knew 10, 15, 20 years ago. It is an actual physical and economic transformation. Now I'm just telling you that because this is, this is God at work to be, and he can, he can actually change things. It's not, you even nations can be changed and economies can be changed. And of course another great miracle of this kind of thing is the miracle of South Korea. And there a Christian, a praying, a giving Christian minority, which is rapidly becoming a Christian majority, has seen the most amazing economic change since about the 19 mid-70s, when they were devastated from the, the Japanese war and, and then their, uh, their war with, in North Korea. And then, I mean, the, the, their, their economy has grown and grown and grown and grown. I won't go into all the statistics, but I tell you, it's an these things are incredible miracles. And it just demonstrates the, the practicality of God. But there are three curses, the curse of sin, there's the curse of sickness and there's curse, the curse of poverty. And God totally dealt with all three of them at the cross. And it's about time we began to realize that that is absolutely true. Now, we've learned to some extent about the cross dealing with sin, but the, but the church is, is remarkably ignorant on the power of the cross to deal with sickness and to deal with poverty. But it's all there in the cross. They're curses which God lovingly intends to take away. Now, I'm just going to concentrate this afternoon on the curse of sickness. And we're told in Galatians 3, verse 13, that when Jesus hung upon the cross, he became a curse in order that all other curses should be taken away. So there's no any longer any legal power for, David, for the devil to enforce these curses. And if you come you know, from a, a, 
even, even a part of Britain that's economically cursed or a part of a city that's economically cursed, you need to start getting hold of God for miraculous transformation. We've seen this in San Antonio, Texas. The southern part of San Antonio was the poverty area. It was desperately needy. It was largely uh, Hispanic people, largely Mexican people. And as we've targeted that in our prayers, we have seen economic transformation. Just recently, the Toyota company decided to put its largest uh, car manufacturing factory outside of, of, of Japan in Southern, the southern part of San Antonio, and it's already transforming the economy. And in the Rio Grande Valley, which uh, I also know very, very, very well, that's where Texas touches Mexico. And it was a very poor area, but even in their poverty, as all these people began to come to Christ, they became amazing generous givers. And I was amazed to see how even when they were putting up a new building, they said, we're not going to cut back on our giving. And they were giving, in those days, 40% of their income away as a church. And they were using, giving 10% to, to you, know, you know, Acts 1-8, 10% to reach their own community, 10% to reach their state, 10% to reach their nation, and 10% to the uttermost parts of the world. And they became the most incredible generous givers. And God prospered that. And then shortly after, this amazing giving took place. And it's always been triggered off by them giving in their poverty before the prosperity came. And that's, that's got to be an act of faith individually, and it's got to be the same corporately. And then the new NAFTA arrangement, you know, the North American uh, Free Trade Agreement came in, which totally transformed the economy of, of the Rio Grande Valley. And now these guys who were working for you know, four or five dollars a day in, 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 the, in the fields as, as agricultural workers, they've now got jobs in factories for 15 to 20 dollars a day. Their economy is transformed and the economy of towns like McAllen and Harlingen and that are all being transformed by, economically by the power of God. And it's the giving of the saints that's brought about the, and the faith of the saints that's brought about the transformation. And so these things are real. Hello. And they work. And of course, I long for this to come to nation after nation of the, you know, the poor areas of the world. And I, I preach it passionately there. But that, that's a good demonstration of it. Anyway, let's now come to the curse of sickness. And we read there Isaiah 53. Come there for a moment and see how completely God dealt with sickness. Isaiah 53. And forgive my American accent, but I am American. I heard myself saying it, Isaiah 53. And I want you to come to verse 3, and I want to also point out to you what irritates me a lot about our English translators is they always water the thing down. And you probably, if you've got a new King James like I have, it says, he is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we're told in the margin that the literal translation of the word sorrow is pains, and the literal translation of the word grief is actually sickness. So why on earth do they change it? Amen. So you should read, he's a man of pains and acquainted with sickness, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and he has carried our pains, yet we esteemed him stricken of God, smitten by God and afflicted. Now come to Matthew chapter 8, please. So that we know that this is not some fanciful thinking of Alan Benson. Come to Matthew chapter 8. And you come to verse 16. He's, Jesus has just healed Peter's sick mother-in-law, verses 14 and 15. Verse 16, when evening had come, 
they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. Notice how it's all attributed to demons. Please notice, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast the spirits with, cast out the spirits with a word and heal all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, say, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So he's quoting it the way that it should be quoted there. Amen? directly attributing those verses in Isaiah to the ability to have a multitude of demonized sick people and be able to cast the demons out of all of them. It's the power of the cross that did this. Amen? So at the cross, he broke the power of the devil, not only in terms of sin, but also in terms of sickness. And every pain and every sickness was included in that which he suffered on the cross. And we're told particularly that it was by his stripes or by these, the, the wounds of his back that we were healed. And Peter quotes that in 1 Peter 2.24 and says that by his stripes we have been already healed. In other words, in the cross is the power and, and is, the, is the, the legal right to heal every sickness and every disease. Amen? But it's a matter of dealing with the demonic. Sickness is not normal or natural. It's a demonic invasion and perversion of God's perfect creative handiwork. Satan's purpose is to corrupt, steal, to kill and destroy. Although there are multiple of physical manifestations, the root is nevertheless spiritual. All diseases are directly or indirectly the activity of wicked evil spirits. And so we've got to learn that we're waging war with demons here. There is an obvious diabolical intelligence about many diseases. And I give you some examples. And, and I've had the privilege of, of knowing quite well as, as close friends some brilliant doctors who are working in medical research. I'm thinking of two of them particularly who work in Addenbrooke's Hospital, in, or were, I'm not sure they still are there today, but I think so, working in Addenbrooke's Hospital, Cambridge, in, in the, the forefront of tackling you know, leukaemia, particularly in children. And these are both wonderful Christians, spirit-filled men, brilliant in their, in their intellect, brilliant in their scientific knowledge, and they've recognised that as they've come to fight cancer, that they're dealing with a diabolical intelligence. And they say that we will, we will work out a way to, to block it with certain chemical treatments, and we see that the, it's like as if the, the, the germs go away and think, or the vi virus go away and think, and think of a new way to circumvent the, the antibiotics, antibiotics that we're using. And he said it's a battle against demonic powers. He said, what we found again and again is that when we feel we're being outmaneuvered by the intelligence of what are supposed to be microbes, that we get on our knees and pray and we ask God to give us a, a, a divine answer to be, to be wiser in God than they are in their demonic intelligence. He said, it's a, it's a diabolical battle. And if, you, if you study some diseases and look at the way, for example, that the, you know, the HIV virus invades the T-cells, there's something devilish and diabolical about the whole thing. Amen. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but I can tell you that, that, you, that it is absolutely true. And, and we come to hate the devil's work. Okay, one more thing. Recreative miracles which restore damaged or missing parts to the body, are they're a miraculous creative work of God and are something separate from healing. So like you get a leper, can be delivered from leprosy, but for their missing limbs to suddenly and gloriously be recreated, that's a miracle. That's not dealing with sicknesses in the literal sense of the word. Amen? So what we can always claim is that the, that, that devastating work of the devil, which has done the damage, that we can call it to a halt. But to call forth the recovery and repair and, and, and if necessary, the total reconstruction of what isn't even there anymore, that's a miracle. 
Now, God's also into miracles, but we need to keep these two things distinct because the power to cast out demons and cure sicknesses isn't the same power by which creative miracles take place. And it's a different gift, it's a different area of divine intervention, which I'm not going to go into this afternoon, but I just want us to keep clear in what we're dealing with. Okay. As soon as he was anointed, come to page 22, Jesus became the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, and I just read that, Matthew 8, 16. He immediately, on the second that, began to claim Isaiah 6, uh, 8, 16 and saw answers to his, to his prayers. Jesus, we're told, uh, for this purpose, we're told, that the Son of Man or, or, was the Son of God manifested, and the word is phanero. He was made, you know, proclaimed, publicly and visibly, perhaps is a good translation, that he, and, and the purpose was that he might destroy all the works of the evil one. Amen? All the works of the evil one. And that's got to include every sickness and every disease. Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who what? Who were oppressed by the devil. Can you see again and again and again, the two are put together as one and the same thing? We've got to start to get out of our sort of humanistic mentality that sickness is a kind of natural thing and we need a bit of God's help to get over some of the problems. We're dealing with raw, deliberate, demonic wickedness and we need to address it as such and come against it with that kind of authority and then we're going to start to see a lot more success, if you like, if that's the right word, against these demonic powers. There needs to be an aggression in our hearts towards these things. Jesus sent his disciples to cast out demons and to heal the sick. He didn't distinguish or separate between the two. Amen? He gave them authority over every sickness and he gave them authority over every demon. And again, he didn't distinguish between the two. I give you authority over all the power of the devil. Now go out and heal everybody. That's what he said. We've got to see it in that light. So if, if you're suffering from a sickness or a disease or your people are or your friends are or even your enemies are for that matter, then you're dealing with the demonic. And if you learn to have authority over the demonic, then you're going to have authority over the diseases and you're going to see some wonderful miracles take place. Let me just move on. Jesus did not pray for people. I've said that and it's already been repeated. He spoke directly to the demon, causing in the condition and commanded it to leave. A good example, there's many, there's dozens of examples I could turn to, but let's just pick on Luke chapter 13. But it comes again and again in all four Gospels. And here is this woman with, uh, who's bent double with what we were, what's that curvature of the spine? Something spondylitis. Scalia spondylitis, is that? Well, that's what's being described here, obviously. And, and, I, and I was in a, a good old Baptist church in California some years ago, and they didn't believe in healing at all. They believed it was all ceased with the complete of the canon of Scripture. And we came back from this, this, um, this men's retreat, and I was invited to preach in the Sunday morning. And when they realized that I believed in all this stuff, they were, wished they'd never invited me. And, <laughs> and I forget quite how it all happened now, but all I remember is that, that, um, that um, this precious woman came into the church with that condition, you know, and, and she came in, and, and, uh, I, and somehow I got to the place where I called her, them forward, she came forward, and as I touched her back, there was like shots of a rifle, Bang, 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 bang. And she straightened up. And she started to run around the church. And her husband was running behind her, one of the deacons of the church, in tears, saying, and I don't even believe in healing. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Luke 13. 
and, and we told in verse 11, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, verse 10, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. That's what it said. It was what? It was a spirit of infirmity. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and she immediately she, had, she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to them, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come to be healed on one of them. I mean, they never did it. It's just total stupid hypocrisy. And not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered said to him, Hypocrite, don't each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, th think of it, for 18 years, should she not be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Now, can you see how Jesus describes this condition? This precious woman is being afflicted by a foul, stinking demon, and he's not going to let that continue. And he thinks, for 18 years she's been living in this misery, and not one day of it was necessary if someone was around who knew how to deal with the devil. Amen? I think we need to get a bit more indignation in ourselves. We, we tolerate so much. We think, well, that's just normal. This is human life, and things are getting worse and worse. Everybody else, everybody seems to be getting cancer, so, you know, it's all quite normal, and it's just life, and we've got all kinds of strange new things in the atmosphere, and if we sort of wash our hands more often, and if we filter our air better, we're going to deliver ourselves from all this stuff. No, this is dead demonic. If you filter your air 20 times over, you'll still find another way to attack you. Amen? You're dealing with the devil and intelligence who's out to destroy because he loves to destroy. And God hates him and hates his works and he's come to destroy all the work of the evil one. Jesus didn't just pray for people. He spoke directly to the demon causing the condition and commanded it to leave. We just read that. Jesus never refused to heal anybody. He healed everyone who came to him without exception. Mark 6, 53 to 56. Jesus had authority and functioned this way, not because of his divine nature, although he was God. He had authority because he was under authority. He tells us this in Luke chapter 7. Let's just stop at that for a moment. Verse 1 to 8. And of course, this, this was, of course, the, the centurion who understood the power of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 7. And here, this, this, this centurion of the Roman army comes to Jesus and begs that he might heal his servant. And he says, he says I too, like you, am a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and go, and to another one, come. And he comes, and to another one, do this, and he does it. He said, Lord, you don't need to come to my house, verse 7. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Because he understood, if you like, he understood the military attitude almost that Jesus had regarding his father. Although he was motivated by love, he behaved like he was an, a soldier under the, uh, the authority of a commanding officer. In fact, the word that's used again and again in scripture, command, and it comes I think 500 and something times, and it's used quite frequently in the terms of Jesus' relationship to his father. He obeyed his father's commandments. He lived as one under authority. And as a result, the authority of all that, as, as I think it was Duncan explained, you know, the, the authority of the British policeman 
Well, it's even more so and more powerfully true with Jesus that he was a man under authority. And as well, when he spoke, everything that he said took place because of the power that was behind his word. And so the key, one of the keys to becoming effective in this area is to be a man or a woman who's under authority. And then if God says to do it, you go do it. And all the authority of God will be with you. Jesus on earth, during his anointed three and a half years ministry, was living in the same humanity that Adam had lived in before the fall. Adam could have lived the same way if only he remained perfectly obedient like Jesus. At the end of John's Gospel, it says this, if all the things which Jesus did were written down, the whole world could not contain the books. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? Now you think, how long have you been a Christian? And one day God said to me, he said, said, how long have you been a Christian? I said, Lord, about 40 years. He said, how many books could be written about what I've been able to do with you in the healing moment? I said, Lord, I get the message. I'm going <laughs> to be much more diligent about this. Amen? In three and a half years, the world could not take, contain the books if everything that Jesus did was written down. Isn't that, isn't that quite a staggering statement? Think about that. Say, so, okay, well, if we really are his resurrection, if we writ, and that's even greater than his earthly life, then why is not a lot more flowing out of us than it is? And the problem is not with God, the problem is definitely with us. We need to get a new passion about this thing, not just be, you know, well, you know, Lord, help us. Amen. All right. Now let's move on. And the, the, the healing is the power of the kingdom. The power... To cast out demons and heal the sick is the first manifestation of the kingdom and it is always the cutting edge to forcefully advance the kingdom. I remember listening to the story of, I forget his name now, it's just gone out of my mind, the guy that's attributed with the beginning of the Indonesian revival. All I know is that in the year 1960 in the Indonesian islands, statistically Indonesia was regarded as a 100% Muslim country. There were a few little tiny groups of Christians, but they were significantly insignificant. They were statistically insignificant, is the term. But one of those statistically insignificant people happened to be a little ditty little Indonesian. And God told him to go out and just to start to move in his own hometown and offer to pray and to heal in the name of Jesus. Not to try and at that point to get them converted, just to give them healing as a free gift, but he had to make it quite clear it was a gift from God through Jesus Christ. And he began to move out into his community and he said that over the next two or three weeks, I was actually at a conference together in the, in the WEC headquarters and we were speaking together at this annual conference of missionaries and he would, he'd come to tell the story of what happened and how it began to happen in Indonesia. Just about 1966 he was there. And, 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 uh, and he, he, it wasn't Mel, whatever his name is, it was someone else. His name just slips my mind. But he said he just moved out and began to do as God said. And he said over the next two or three weeks, he said, something like 2,000 amazing miracles took place. And he said he made it quite clear to all of these Muslim people that this was just the love of God being, being given to them through the power of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it had to be clear that it was in the name of Jesus. Then he said, after about another two or three weeks, an evangelizing team came through the same area and they, they reaped the harvest which had been created by these tremendous miracles. And he said the miracles continued in even greater intensity. And he said at the end of, I think it was um, 
in the end of 18 months, it was quite a short space of time, he said over 250,000 Muslims had turned to Jesus Christ. And they were, they were now, they were everywhere. And, and at, uh, I know the latest statistic that I've looked at on Indonesia, that Indonesia is now somewhere between 17 and 20% Christian in spite of fearful opposition. And the church is powerful and it's growing. If you meet any of these precious saints that I have and just have time with them, I mean, the price that they are paying and the, and the miracles they're seeing are just absolutely phenomenal. But it's, God's not going to lose this war. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I remember being on a plane, flying between uh, um, Nairobi and um, Mombasa. And I was on my way to, to do a, a, a pastor's conference for Reinhold Bonnke in preparation for his crusade in that city. But he was being obstructed by the Muslim leaders and they weren't going to allow him to come and have a crusade. Every time they tried to get a, he get a, tried to get a parade around, they, they banned it because they, the, they had the majority in, in amongst the city elders. And the church was trembling in fear and unafraid to, and afraid to step out and be bold because they, were, they, were, they, they threatened to tear this city apart if, if Reinhold Bonnke came to town. And I found myself on the same plane and I found myself sitting next to, to a man who, who was actually from Iran, and he was one of the Iranian fanatics that were coming to stir up, up the Muslim community to cause the riots in the city of Mombasa. You can imagine, when we discovered our relative positions, you can imagine <laughs> the, ele the electricity between us. So this guy said to me, I'll never forget, he asked me this question. He said, are you one of these spiritual Christians that do miracles? And I didn't try and explain, well, it's not me, it's the Lord Jesus. It would have been too common. I said, yeah, that's me. I said, I love, to be, I love to be used by God to do miracles. He said to me, he said, you are the only thing we fear. If it wasn't for you people, we would have taken the world long ago. And I said, but my kind of people are increasing in rapid... I said, there's seven times more of us in Africa every year. I said, you're losing this war. If I were you, I'd change sides. <laughs> I said, you're on the losing side, I said to this guy. And, and I got to Mombasa and I began to, to minister to these, to these pastors and, 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 I, and, I, and I could feel the fear and I, and I dealt with the fear and I said, well, okay, the worst thing can happen is that you can die, so what? What happens? You go to be with the Lord in glory and don't you think it's going to be a lot better up there than it is down here? And, and I said, come on, let's deal with the spirit of fear, which was the main problem. And as we broke that spirit of fear, these guys got released from it. They said, yeah, we're, we're prepared to go out to be bold and to do miracles and preach in the name of Jesus. And if we lose our life, we lose our life. And a tremendous new boldness came to these guys. It was absolutely fantastic. Now, Reinhard Bonnke had said, said to me that if he did not get permission for uh, the, the, the parade, for, for a place to meet within the next, I think, two or three weeks, he said, for the first time in my life, I will have to cancel a crusade. And anyway, that particular Saturday morning, the president of Kenya at that time, President Moy, telephoned and granted the use of the presidential parade grounds for Rani Bonke's crusade. As that incredible warring prayer night we had on the Friday night, it bust something in the heavenlies and gave boldness to the President Moy to stand up against, him, against Islamic pressure and, and give that parade ground to, the, to Reinhard Bonnke to have an evangelistic crusade. He also ordered Na Kenya National Television to broadcast every, every meeting live on National Kenya Television. And there was a tremendous harvest was reaped. Amen. So, so I want us to get bold about these things. There's some of the things I remember. Okay. Now as I move on, 
I want you to come to page 22, the bottom, and it's the power of the kingdom. I want to deal with the factors which are conducive to a flow of healing. And just at the bottom of, of page 22, I put producing a right environment. And I put, first of all, it's a matter of prayer. Prayer is the preparation. Amen? We read again and again, Jesus prayed. And we find again and again that as a result of his prayer life, we read, for example, in Luke chapter 5, that the power of the Lord was present to heal. Come to Luke chapter 5 and come to verse 16. The power of the Lord. So, so Jesus himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And at the bottom of verse 17, it says, And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And you read again in Luke 6, it comes all over the place. Again, I'm just going to say this, that, that even as you find again, that the church at prayer, it reads in Acts 4, the place where they prayed was shaken and, and they asked God for two things, for boldness to speak his word and for, that signs and wonders may be done in the name of Jesus. Now, those are the two things they saw as absolutely essential for advancing the kingdom, was boldness to speak his word and signs and wonders had to be done in the name of Jesus to confirm the word. Otherwise, the, it wasn't going to have the, the cutting edge that it needed to have in society. Now, I've never been to um, Bible college or theological seminary, but for, for years I've had a fantastic tutor. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he, he, he gives me assignments. And one, one day, just not that long ago, about maybe five years ago or even less than that, he said to me one day, he said, I want you to go through all the verbs in the New Testament on prayer. And I want you to see what voice they are. And, and i explain what that is in a minute, if you don't understand. It doesn't matter. And then, then he said, I want you to go through all the acts of faith, every miracle or anything of that kind, and see what is the voice of the verb. And then he said, I want you to go through the New Testament and see anyone who was able to move in faith and see and, and became the recipient of God's faith. What is the mood, the voice, I'm sorry, what is the voice of the verb. And I, as I went through, I was amazed at how totally consistent it was. And what I found out was this, that every verb to do with prayer, almost without exception, was in what's called the middle voice. I'll explain what this is in a minute. Every verb to do with seeing a miracle take place, every verb to do with that miracle taking place, it was always in the active voice. And every verb that had to do with people becoming men or women in faith, it was always in the passive voice. It was absolutely consistent. So let me just explain what that means. First of all, the, the, the active voice is very simple to explain. It just means that the subject of the sentence acts and does something to the object of the sentence. Like here is Colin in the front row. Alan strikes Colin on the head for no reason whatever. Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, that's the active voice. Now, the passive voice is fairly easy to explain. The passive voice means that you become the beneficiary of someone else's action towards you. So, we would say that Colin <laughs> was hit yeah. by Alan. That would be in the passive voice. And what we're being told is that if you want faith, you've got to receive it from God. I don't want to spend time on this. I want just to get a quick flavor of this. In other words, everyone who moved in faith learned how to receive faith from God, and then that faith that they received from God, that's what enabled them to move in the power of miracles to see miracles happen. Now let's come to the slightly more complicated one, which is the middle voice. 
And I always use this illustration because it, it, it helps me. Just imagine that here's, here's Bill and Fred, they've gone on a camping tour and they've come to the, to the campsite and they're going to put up the tent. So we would say, Bill takes a tent peg and holds it in the ground and then whoever I said, Fred. Fred then takes the mallet and then we would say this, that, that Bill holds the tent peg and then, and, and then, then, sorry, I've forgotten the names now. Fred takes the mallet and Fred strikes it into the ground. Now, the purpose of Bill holding the tent peg is in order that, that Fred should strike it. If Fred doesn't strike it, there's no point in holding it. And so the middle voice is an action of a verb which is incomplete without a further action being done to it. Amen? Have you got the idea? There's no point in holding a tent bag all day because that's not going to put it into the ground. You need, you need Bill to come along and hit it in by the activity of striking it with a mallet. But on the other hand, Bill can't hit it into the ground unless, unless whoever it was, Frank holds it for him. <laughs> Amen? They have to work together. One holds the tent peg, and that's in the middle of the voice. The other strikes it into the ground by, by active blows with, with the mallet, and the two of them together accomplish the purpose, which is they've now got the pegs in the ground so they can put up the tent. Now, what, what we're able to see is that prayer is like holding the tent peg. Prayer is a means of preparing the way for men and women to move in faith. But if you pray and pray and pray and then don't go into action, then it's like holding the tent peg without Bill coming along to hit it with a mallet. Mm -hmm. Amen? Yes. In other words, prayer, churches which pray and don't go out into action, they don't see anything because they've never activated the prayer, that, the, the, the possibilities that have been produced by the prayer. Now in Luke chapter 5, we find that Jesus prayed all night and we're told, it's in the middle voice, that then it, we're told that the power of the Lord was present to heal. The prayer produced the possibility of miracles, but it didn't produce the miracles. Then five, four men with a sick friend stepped into that atmosphere with their sick friend, which was the action of faith, and they cashed in on the prayer life of Jesus, and as a result, they saw a miracle. So if they hadn't stepped into the act of faith and to cash in on the prayer of faith, they wouldn't have seen a miracle. But on the other hand, if they'd stepped into that without the prayer, they wouldn't have seen a miracle either. Both are absolutely necessary. Do you see what I'm saying here? And there are some churches which know how to pray, and there are some churches that know how to go out and evangelize, but when they get together, things start to happen. Amen? Can you hear what I'm saying? And so a praying church that also has people who know how to go out in actions of faith, the two together are going to see results. But sometimes you get a praying church that never goes out in, into action, and sometimes you get an acting church that never thinks about praying. Either one on its own is incomplete. Can you hear what I'm saying? The same is true of your own life. If you don't have a prayer life, then you will not find your actions are successful. But if you have a prayer life without action, then you're never going to see the fruit of your prayers either. So if you are a praying person and a doing person, which of course was perfectly epitomized in our Lord Jesus Christ, then you see the two coming together and you see a flow of amazing miracles. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. That's so important that you see that. So if we pray to produce the possibility of miracles, then we've got to act in order to cash in to that atmosphere to see the actual results. So a praying church and an acting church working together in harmony, they're going to see, definitely going to see results. Amen? All right. The only reason given for failure in Scripture to heal or to cast out evil spirits in Scripture is always unbelief. Amen? 
Sometimes it's in the people trying to act. Sometimes it's in the environment in which you try to do that action. Jesus could do no great work in his own hometown because of their chronic unbelief. It was so bad that it even made Jesus marvel. I don't want Jesus to find that's true about any part of the, of the United Kingdom, although I think he would if he walked around. He would be appalled at the chronic unbelief. Oh yeah, we've been to church for the last 30 years, never seen a miracle, and we don't really believe it's going to happen. And there's this wall of, 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 of unbelief which prevents things happening. And, and even then, so, I mean, I, I've been with Ryan Bonke in Africa and watched him in Africa, and it's an amazing sight to see him in action there. I've also been with him. I remember coming to London with him for the first time, and he was holding a, a meeting in Westminster Chapel. It was packed to the doors with Reinhard Bonnke. He preached an incredible message, but not a darn thing happened. And yet, with the same man, with a, a bunch of raving, fanatical Nigerians. <laughs> totally different story. It was, in, it was the environment which prevented it. I'd, I'd been with him in Birmingham on one occasion when he was, he was ministering there. And again, I thought, well, this just isn't the Reinhardt that I know. And it wasn't he was different, it was that the environment was totally different. He could do no great work there because of their unbelief. We've really, really got to deal with this. Amen? All right, let's move on. We're told, without any doubt, in James 5, verse 15, we're told that what the prayer of faith will do what? It will heal the sick. That's what it says. And if they've committed any sins, they will be forgiven then. But prayer doesn't heal anybody. It's only the prayer of faith. You can pray for someone all your life without faith and it has no effect whatsoever except to waste a lot of time. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to pray more than once, but every prayer you pray has got to be a prayer of faith. Jesus does not condemn repetition. He condemns vain repetition. Do you make a distinction between those two things? Because sometimes you've got to hit the same thing again and again before it finally comes down. It's like battering around prayers, but, but it's each time, every time you pray, it, it will do something if it's a prayer of faith, but the first time it may not accomplish your purpose. But every time you hit it, 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 it's the, the accumulative effect of all those blows will bring the thing finally down. So don't ever say that Jesus said you should never pray more than once for anything. That isn't what he said. He said, don't use vain repetition like the heathen. That is, just keep praying the same old prayer without any faith, because that is a waste of time. But every prayer of faith will accomplish something, but it takes more than one prayer sometimes to finish off a strong, resistant, demonic power that's standing against you. If you persevere in prayer, you will see that thing come down. Amen? The prayer of... All right, next thing. Get rid of all unbelief or any other contrary spirit. Jesus physically removed all unbelief and contrary spirits so the sick could get healed before he ministered to them. When he went into the, the temple at the end of his ministry, the first thing he did was to clear, clean out all the money changers, all the money grabbing people who were there, not because of God, because they loved God, they were there to make money out of the poor, people who were there to try and get their sins forgiven or get their prayers answered. And he cleansed the place of unbelief and then it says, and then the lame and the sick came to him and were healed. When Jairus' daughter was, was, had already died, he cleared the house of all the wailing, moaning, groaning relatives who, as far as they were concerned, it was all over and, he, and she was already you know, buried and gone. He said, to get rid of all this wailing unbelief, I can't, I can't minister in this atmosphere. Amen? 
So you've got to, and, and when you, if you ever, ever you have a meeting, or ever have a, particularly a healing meeting, don't allow people with, with hostility and, and, and objection and demonised unbelief, don't let them sit in the front rows. Fill the front rows with people who are full of expectant faith so that they produce a climate of possibility that you can move in. Amen? So I could go on. Let's move on. Let's go on now to the bottom of page 23. Becoming a channel for God's healing power to flow. So for, for healings to take place, you need three things. You need a, a, a suitable climate, which I briefly described, so for the possibility of healings to take place. That makes it a lot simpler, a lot easier to see miracles. Then secondly, you need an appropriate channel of faith. The, the power of God's healing has to flow through someone. Amen? And then thirdly, the person who's come to be healed, it helps enormously if they are the right kind of recipient. They know how to receive a healing. And healing can be blocked by any one of those three. Or you can, if you've got the right kind of faith, it's possible to overcome the obstacles, but it makes healings much more uncertain and much more difficult. But if you've got a, an environment which is conducive to prayer, it, it's sort of got the, you know, it's filled with prayer, and it's filled with the kind of prayers so you can feel the power of the Lord present. If you've got people who know how to move as the channel for God to heal, and if you've got people who know how to receive, you've got miracles. Amen? When all three flow together, you're going to see a, a steady flow of miracles. But let's just for a moment spend a few minutes on the channel. And, and I'm just going to say this quickly at the bottom of page 23. Fulfill the conditions of the laborers in Matthew chapter 9. And it begins, first of all, A, moved with compassion. I still remember two wonderful miracles that I've seen. One of them was years and years ago in Great Britain. And we were, we were, we were there at, in, um, it was one of the Downs Bible Weeks at the time. We had, a, we had a, all our churches there and all the young people went off to um, have some fun in the afternoon. And one of the girls, there was a girl just in her early 20s, and she um, was inclined, I didn't know this before, she was inclined to have... Uh, epileptic fits and she was coming back on site she had a very very severe epileptic fit which threw her down to the ground and, and they, they called me and I came running over and there she was just at the edge of the edge of the compound and she was you know she was stiff she was foaming at the mouth and I remember looking at this precious young lady and I and I picked her up to carry her back to her tent you know she wasn't that heavy and, and as I was just carrying her I, I, I it's ever so hard to describe but I felt what God felt about her because she was a, she was you know because of this she'd lost her, her job, she lost her driving license, and it was getting worse. And it was just destroying this young woman's life. And I remember just carrying her, and as I was carrying her, I just felt the, the absolute pure compassion of God for this precious young lady. It's ever hard to describe what it feels like, to feel what God feels like. Yeah. And I felt it, and I, and I just said, you stinking demon, get out of her. That's all I said. She was, she was instantly healed and has never had any more trouble since. That was, that was years and years ago. And I remember another occasion. This time it was in, 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 in North America in a little town of Greensburg. Uh, a, a, Jim Adkins, some of, you, some of you, I think you've met Jim. Anyway, and I was in this, this little town 
and 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 that, that we had we had there was a powerful move of God on some tremendous healings were taking place, and they brought this little boy to me who was probably eight or nine years of age. He was in the final stages of leukemia. He was skin and bone. He hadn't eaten for days, and I, and, and and he 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 was probably was due to die within a week, and this I can still remember. Bringing this little, nothing more than a bag of bones to me that was just about alive. Looking at this precious little kid and his, his face full of agony and his mother, I remember his mother's face. And I felt what God felt about this situation. I just felt the total compassion and I felt the total anger of God against the devil to do this thing. And I just remember saying something like the same thing. You, you foul demon, you're not going to take this little one. Get out of him. He's going to live to the glory of Jesus Christ. Just something like that. Get out of him. And I felt the anger and I felt the compassion like a flow out of me into this little boy. And they took the little boy home. And then when they took him home, he immediately said he was hungry. And then, then within a day or two, he was, he was eating well. He was back. And I got a, a message to say that he was now up running around. He was playing football. And he's totally gloriously healed. But, but I'm just using these illustrations to explain, you know, I felt, I, you know, I, I thought, you know, when, when God's spirit gets hold of you and, 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 and you feel, and, and his compassion gets hold of you, you can't just be a professional healer, you know what I mean? You're going to get desperately and completely emotionally involved and that's part of the price that you pay. But something flows. And, and here Jesus looked upon this multitude and it said he had compassion for them. And, and then in, in chapter 10, he then appoints the apostles and sends them out to heal the sick, to cast out the devils, etc. He saw them as harassed and helpless. And that's, these are things that you've got to, it's got to come to you. Come to the back next page, page 24. And, and, you, and you, 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 you love righteousness and you hate evil. Now, now Jesus was not... Not a placid sort of guy. I mean, he, it, we're told this in Psalm 45. We're told that he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. There was, see, our God's a passionate God. He hates the works of the evil one. And, and, and I've come to, to the same passion and I hate the work of the evil one. I hate what the devil is doing to people. I hate these things. And I feel this, this, these two emotions so strongly in me at times that I, I can hardly stand up. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you can't just be indifferent about it or, or fit it in between all your other things. It, it, it can become consuming. Then I'm going to go on. Next thing is you fulfill the condition of the 70 in Luke 10. It says that Jesus appointed them. They were ministers of God's peace. I'm not going to spend time on this. You can look it all up and study it yourself. They were abandoned in their obedience. And you understand that word? And they were abandoned in worship. So you can't be half-hearted about these things. Then number three, you know how to receive the power and faith from God and then you know how to pass it on as a clean channel. So you yourself have got to be pure, clean and holy. You've got to be able to hear. And if you don't walk closely with God and intimately with God, you can't hear him clearly enough to be able to act on what he tells you to do. You've got to be obedient. You've got to be childlike. You've got to be humble. I still remember this years and years and years ago when our daughter Rachel had had this terrible accident in Zimbabwe. She came back to Britain. 
and, and uh, her, she had multiple fractures in the, in the lower parts of her body particularly and, that, and, and her legs just would not heal and we had a, she was in a plaster cast for, for months and she's probably told this story but I just want to tell a little bit from my perspective. I remember in our churches there in Watford at the time we used to have warring praise nights on the Sunday night and she was in one of these warring praise nights. And I remember her, and, and, and then as I was, as, as we were just warring and praising and longing, she was, you know, she was a patient of the Stam Orthopedic Hospital, they were doing everything they could medically for, and they were thinking about possibly having to open up her legs and pack every fracture with live bone chips to try and, to try and, get, a, to try and get a fusion, and the thought of it was absolutely horrific. And, and Rachel said, no, just leave it alone, let's just wait a little bit longer to see what God will do. And we were in this meeting this particular night, and as we were worshiping and praising God, I just heard God speak to me. I thank God I was clear enough, close enough to hear what he said. And secondly, I thank God I was just obedient to do what he told me, because what he told me to do had made no sense at all. And this is what God said. He said, the spirit of death that tried to kill Rachel is now in her bones, resisting the healing, cast it out. Now, now I was just beginning to get into the whole healing thing and I had a lot, lots and lots of things to learn. And this, I never even knew there was such a thing as, spirit, as a spirit of death. And I didn't know how it operated or how it worked. I've learned a lot more since then. But I got a message from God and I just obeyed what I was told to do. So I went to, over to dear Rachel and I, and I just repeated what I'd heard. You spirit of death that tried to kill my daughter in, in Zimbabwe, in Harare. I'm now coming against you in the name of Jesus, and, I'm, and you're now resisting the healing of her bones, and I'm casting you out in the name of Jesus. I said, get out of her. All that we know is within two or three weeks of that, her legs were perfectly healed. Now, one leg was still rotated 20 degrees, one leg was still one and three, one and three quarter inches longer than the other, and people like, um, other people came and prayed. I wasn't responsible for many of these miracles, but over the next two or three years, she had miracle after miracle until every every trace of those total injuries was removed from her body and today she doesn't have any of them. Praise God. Amen? Amen. But I'm just using it as an illustration of how you, better, you just become like a little child and just be obedient. And if God says that's the spirit of death doing that cast out, then I'm just going to do what he says. Amen? Yeah. I'm not going to try and be clever. I'm not trying to understand. I'm just going to be obedient. So, so to be a channel, you've got to learn to be close to God, to hear his voice, and you obey what he says with just childlike obedience. And, and you've got to be humble. It's all from him. It's all of him. It's all to him. It's nothing whatever to do with you. You're not ever, ever going to be able to heal anybody. You're just, but he can use your humanity if you will make yourself available. And when he's used, done these amazing things, you give all the glory to him and make sure that everybody else does so too. Amen? But you've got to do next thing, number four, you've got to really believe in who you are in Christ. You understand what I mean by that? And you've got to believe in who he is in you. When Peter came to Aeneas in Acts chapter 9, and he said, he said, he said Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He was totally aware that he was just a channel that Jesus was using. Jesus Christ heals you. And, 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 and he got up and walked. Amen. Jesus Christ can use you and he can use me. Believe in who you are. Believe in who is in you. After all, who lives in you? Jesus said in John 14 that if you love me and keep my commandments, then I, in my risen power, and my Father and the Holy Spirit, we will all come and we will make our home with you. Now that's a pretty powerful trinity. They can do a lot between them. Amen? <laughs> 
You remember how th that widow woman in 2 Kings 4, where Eli Elisha says to her, Elisha says to her, he says, woman, what have you got in your house? And he says, oh, she says, oh, just this little pot of oil. He says, well, you start pouring it out, you'll be amazed how far it will go. Now, that's a picture, of course, of the Holy Spirit. Don't despise what you have. Amen? If you're born again, if you're a believer, if you are, if you are in faith about who, what God's made you to be, then if you've got a, a, an intimate relationship with the Father and with the Son and the Spirit, if they live in you and if they dwell in you and you dwell in them, I tell you, you're supercharged with the power of the Trinity. They can do anything through you. Amen? You're not, you're, it's not you, it's them. Amen? But be like Peter. Say, well, look, I've come to you and Jesus Christ is going to heal you. He's just using my body to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to clap my hands with joy as I watch him work through me. Amen? Then really believe in the resources that you have. I've put a whole lot of, I spent, I've quoted some of them just now. Number five, bottom of 24. By an act of faith, give them what you've received. This is a little bit hard to describe. But when Peter came to the lame man at the gate called Beautiful in, in Acts chapter 3, he said to him, I don't have gold and silver, but what I do have, I give it to you. And I remember being in a great healing crusade with a very famous healing ministry. And, and he got hundreds of people coming forward to be prayed for, and wonderful things were happening. And he had an assistant with him. I can't remember his name, but let's say his name was David. And David was trying to help with the crowds of people that had come forward to be healed. And he got a bit frustrated with David. He said, David, don't just pray for them. Give them something. I remember him saying that. And I learned such a lesson from that. Don't just pray for them. Give them something. And there's a way in which you've got to activate your faith switch to, to give them what you have. Amen? And you learn gradually to be more efficient at, 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 by an act of faith, releasing and giving what you have. So you don't just pray for people. You say, well, this is what I've got. I've got, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Receive this in Jesus' name. And, and we're going to do, demonstrate some of these things tomorrow afternoon. I want to, I want to get you into some of this stuff. Amen? And, and, and you've got to learn. I mean, I've just learned and I've made my mistakes, but you can learn and you can go out and start doing all the stuff as well. Amen? By an act of faith, give them what you've received. Let's move on to the next page, 25. You learn to drink and receive. You know what I mean by that? If you read... read Jesus and talking about eat my flesh and drink my blood and eat. He said, I live by the Father. I eat and drink the Father all the time. And, and as I eat and drink the Father, and he just, he just says, well, I'm filled with him. Then I can give to other people what I have. So we've got to live this life of, of drinking intimacy. And then as I said already, you learn to release what you have. Number six, don't give up. Persevere. I remember John Wimber saying in his very, very early days of trying to get into the miraculous, I heard him say this years and years and years ago, and he said, for the first year when I tried to get anybody healed, he said, I never got anybody healed. In fact, I caught some of the diseases that they had. But it's there in the Word, isn't it? It's there in the Scripture. So he just kept pegging away until finally the breakthrough came. And you may have to persevere. And say, well, does the Word say it or doesn't it? If it has, if it does, persevere. Learn from your mistakes. Don't expect to get there all at once. But do expect to make progress all the time. Keep trying and keep learning. Then I'm just going to move on to one or two things. Is to, the, to those who, who receive. Receiving 
and maintaining a healing. Faith is the key. Faith in the complete work and power of the cross. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not, not three. And not seen. Now in Luke 8.43 we have the perfect example of how to receive. You ready? Luke 8.43 And then we read of a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years who spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. And she, and she came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude throng and prayers, and you say, who touched you? He said, oh yeah, but this was different. He said, someone touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has sozoed you, has made you well, your faith has saved you, your faith has delivered you, your faith has healed you. The word sozo has all those three meanings. Go in peace. And she was healed. And she just came and sucked it out of him like a vacuum cleaner. Amen? I was doing a, a healing seminar in Waco, Texas, and there was this, this lady came and she was in very, very advanced stages of Parkinson's disease. And she had a, a walker and she would make her way to the, always to sit in the front row, just where Colin's sitting. She'd make her way to the front there, sitting, and she'd take ages to get there. She'd finally sit down and she'd listen to every word that I said. And I was doing teaching over Friday, I was doing teaching through Saturday, and then Saturday night we were going to have the great healing meeting. And at the end of the Saturday morning session, she said, she said right, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. And I said, what for? She said, I, it's my time to be healed now. I, I said, and, and I said, no, well, let's wait until tonight. It'll be much better. I said, no, it's now. <laughs> now. And I couldn't get past her. <laughs> so in the end, I thought, well, to get rid of her, I better pray for her. <laughs> Lay my hands on her. I laid my hands on her. The power of God hit her. She went flat on her back. She got up and she was, she was pretty well okay. She ran down the hall, up on the stage, all down the stage, up and down the steps. And when she'd finished all this, there was just the slightest tremor in one hand. She was totally, completely healed. When she came back that night, even that tremor had disappeared. And she sort of, I mean, she sucked it out of me like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> she knew how to receive. She said, I'm ready! And she got gloriously healed, and, and I was just a spectator to it. Even though, even though I did feel the power go through me. And so, on the other hand, you can come up to some people and they're, they're like a, you know, it's like, you know, like a block of plastic. You know, imagine that this, this podium was charged with 10,000 volts of electricity. If I was to touch it with a plastic rod, you would never know that it was powerfully charged because plastic is a non-conductor electricity. Amen? And that's how some people are, you know. They are so full of unbelief that you can't be a channel for God, but if you learn to become a channel, then, then it's like God changes you from plastic to copper. You become a good conductor. All we can be is a good conductor. Amen? And if you come with that copper rod to the same... <laughs> the power flows because it's a good conductor. Amen? But, but I've had some people come forward in some meetings, and it's like this, and I can feel there's a great atmosphere, and I feel, I feel anointed, and there's this block of plastic standing there. I can't do anything with you. I, I said, I said, 
Are you expecting anything? No, not really. <laughs> I've had all the best pe people pray for me and they couldn't do anything, so I thought I'd come and see what you could do. <laughs> I've actually had that said to me. I said, well, you might as well sit down now because there's nothing I can do for you until you deal with your chronic unbelief. Amen? So some people stand there, and, and it's not enough even to be passive. You can become an active receiver. Like this precious woman that I just mentioned with her you know, very advanced party. She, 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 I'm ready. I'm going to get my healing right now, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> if you've got an atmosphere where the power of the Lord is present to heal because of a praying church that knows how to pray, and there's an expectancy and there's a readiness and, a, and, a, and a, a delight to see God move in these wonderful ways. And if you've got people who know how to be good conductors, who've kept themselves pure, they live a life of holiness, they live in intimacy with God, they've got sensitivity to hear him, and they, and they know how to hear his voice and whatever he says to them, they're just prepared in obedience to do whatever he says. And they know how to, and they know how to release what they've got and give it to someone. It's ever so hard to explain that, but, but there's all this world about praying for someone and giving them what you have. You've got to, you've got to, it's like a, a faith switch and you, you sort of empty yourself into them by, you know, spiritually by an act of faith. And, and it, it drains something out of you. I find that praying for the sick is much more uh, exhausting than, than anything, because you actually like Jesus, you can feel power go out of you. And then you've got people who know how to receive. If you've got those three things together, you're going to see miracles. Now, anyone on its own can still triumph. But when all three are working together, you've got a flow which will go on week in, week out, and it'll just always be there. Now, I'm going to just bring this to a close now because I feel that's as, as much as we can fit deal with this, this afternoon. And, and, I, and I, this is one of the great dimensions of the cross. It's one, it's one of the great powers of the cross that Jesus Christ took all our sicknesses, he took all our diseases, he took all our pains, and he, he paid the curse for every one of them. Every curse that had ever been inflicted by the evil one upon the human race, he paid the price for that curse, so that curse can be removed. Amen? Amen. And as a result now, because of the cross, we can now step out and we can, we can declare that every work of the devil in this whole realm of, this, the whole realm of sickness and disease, that the power has been conquered at the cross. And the devil can deceive you. He can get you to bear pains and sicknesses that you don't need to bear. I just remember one more meeting. I'll just tell you this story. Just take two minutes. I was at a, at a church in, in uh, Titusville, Florida, and, and, and I was seeing a tremendous flow of miracles. Some wonderful miracles took place. And as I stepped down from the podium, I felt, oh, such a pain hit me in the back. Oh, what a pain. It was, and, and, the, and then I heard this little voice say, well, isn't it worth suffering in order to see all these miracles? You know, and, and, and I thought, you know, why don't you just be willing to bear pain and suffering and, and, and be you know, attacked by the devil and afflicted because, so that you can be a channel for God to use, heal people? You see? And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be the, I'll be the martyr. And I, was, oh, and I thought, wait a minute, I don't have to do this. <laughs> I said, I don't have to suffer pain in order to get these people healed. I said, Jesus has already paid for it. I said, get off my back, you stinking demon, literally. And, 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 it, and it went, 
as suddenly as soon as it came. And I realised that I was being sold. Uh, you know, what, aren't you prepared to suffer to get people healed? I don't have to. It's already done. But I almost fell into that trap. I thought, yeah, I'll suffer. I'll endure hardship. I'll suffer pain. Why on earth should I let the devil afflict me in order to get people healed when it's already paid for and done? I thought, no, you're not going to sell me that one again. And I was, I was set free the moment I, I turned from, from acceptance to warring faith, and that was broken off me, and it never touched me any longer. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and let's just pray. First of all, let's say thank you, Lord, yes. for pairing all those pains and all those sicknesses. Yes. Thank you, Lord, that you, you took it all on the cross. You became a curse in every way for us. You, you took every curse that you might free us from the curse. We thank you, Lord, that you took the curse of sin. You took the curse of sickness and you took the curse of poverty and you so gloriously paid for these things that they can no, the devil can no longer curse us with these things. We're now part of a humanity that's freed from the curse. We thank you, Lord, for our own ability to live free from these curses. But Lord, we thank you that we've now got power in Jesus' name to give to others what we receive on his behalf. Lord, we thank you we can be a channel to others to, for the curse of sickness to be broken off their lives. Lord, we can come against all these demonic powers that in all kinds of clever and, and diabolically uh, cunning ways, they inflict all kinds of suffering upon all kinds of people. Lord, and we tell you that we've heard your word, we receive your word, we accept what you say, that everything, everything from the devil, and we're not going to continue with this any longer. We're going to break the curses in Jesus' name. Lord. Now teach us, Lord, how to be wise and how to be effective and how to be an efficient channel for your power to be released through us that we might see a flow of healings to your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for what you've done at the cross on our behalf. In, but it's not just for us, it's also for the whole world. And we thank you, Lord, we can loose the... The, the, the ocean of your healing power is enough for every single human being on the face of the earth and still there will be plenty left over. You can take away every sin, you can take away, take away every sickness and you can deliver the world from poverty and Lord we're claiming for the full power of what you did at the cross to be loosed in our world and in various societies as we begin to understand the ways of your kingdom in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen.